first thing we have to do is determine what base floor plan rent is. And what I mean by that is, what's the price for the box before it has any of the other structures? So that every single 600 square foot, one bedroom, one bath starts off at a single price point. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, In addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with them to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, you know, he's uh, brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there, and we've built a relationship with him in Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got And assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, But besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. His phone number, 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today. Evan Hoffman. How you doing, Evan? Doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm glad you're doing great, and it's my pleasure. A little bit about Evan. He is the principal and chief strategist of Incisive Solutions, which provides revenue growth strategies to the multifamily industry. He's been employing optimization techniques and helping companies grow revenues for over 20 years based in Denver, Colorado. So with that being said, Evan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure, absolutely. So when I said that I've been employing optimization strategies for 20 years, I almost simplified to say that I've been pricing somebody's widgets for over two decades. I first started out in the car rental industry, pricing cars for the Hertz Corporation and a few others. 
and then moved on to other facets of hospitality, both hotel and in cruise lines. And I've been involved in multifamily, both at the REIT level and then also on my own as a consultant for the past 11 years. And basically what I do is I help multifamily owners, operators, investors, developers, and redevelopers to find, locate where their revenue streams are and where they want to take them. And that can mean all kinds of things based upon the individual needs and what it is that keeps these folks up at night. Will you give us a case study of just one group or a person you worked with just so we can have a sense of what you did? Sure, absolutely. In one example, I had this one client that owned a 156-unit apartment community that they had just done a value-add kitchen and bath upgrade on on most of the units. And the issue with them is they had a sense that they were leaving money on the table, that perhaps they weren't positioning themselves in the right way from a pricing perspective and also from a marketing perspective. And the one leading indicator of that was that they were still full and pre-leased a month and two months out at nearly 100%. That for me is a red flag saying that there is an awful lot of upside opportunity from the pricing side of things. And they were also concerned about that they had invested so much money in the product, they were also looking to upgrade their demographic. So what I was able to do is to go in and create a value proposition pricing schema across the unit types and the different amenity variables within those unit types. So as an example, something on the second floor with a courtyard view, maybe priced a bit higher than something that was ground floor, closer to the street, that kind of thing. So that as folks came in and looked at, they could see the value proposition Mm -hmm. and were willing to pay a higher amount for a premium located unit, even though the interiors of them were identical. So that's just one example. Let's talk about that a little bit more in detail, and then we'll go to another example, because I think this is a good way to guide our conversation, just go through these examples. Well, let's see. Value proposition pricing schemes, that sounds like something other than their investment in you. It sounds like something that they didn't have any out-of-pocket costs for. Is that accurate? That's absolutely correct. They've already done the upgrade on the place, other than bringing me in to bring a fresh set of eyes in. Sometimes there is an RO without the I. You don't necessarily have to have the investment without getting a return and getting a bond on your revenue stream. This isn't always going hat in hand and going to CapEx. Mm-hmm. Should every multifamily owner do that? The value proposition pricing scheme based on where the unit is and views and that sort of thing? Yeah, 100% of the time. It's interesting. I get into conversations with folks and they think that that's relegated only to an A product. But there are ways to create variables and variations for A product, B product, C product, high-rise, mid-rise, garden. There are lots of different ways to skin the cat and the way to look at it so that then you can offer truly the right product to the right customer at the right time for the right price. What product was this 156 unit? This was a product that went from a C plus to a B or so. Okay. And what were the different pricing variables or tiers? Sure. This was garden style, but they were floor differentials. So based upon the demographic, and that's a whole other conversation we can talk about on a tangent, but based upon the demographic, this was a younger demographic. So the higher floor commanded a larger premium. And we discerned that by looking at how many days vacant the ground floor units were versus the second floor versus the third floor. The third floor units were the quickest to turn. The ground floor units were the slowest to turn. 
And there was a younger folks that they were kind of workaday folks rather than folks that were on the older end of the demographic scheme. Did I hear you say the ground floor was the slowest to turn? That's right. But you charged a higher premium on the higher floor? That's right. Sorry, the quickest return to move in. I apologize if that was Okay, got it, got it, got it. So the higher... Okay. Yeah, so, yeah sorry, not turn time, move out to move in. Okay, got it. I'm with you now. So we're able to do this for all units in the buildings. The next piece was to look at proximity to parking because there is a premium, as long as we're not talking about street parking, but talking about parking, whether there's reserve space or it's simply first come, first serve based upon the ability to carry groceries in, get in and out, convenience, especially in winter climates. Denver has, although it's a lot nicer than certain other parts of the country that really has severe winters, that also has a piece. There were some units that had tree-lined courtyard use, so they got a premium. And then quite frankly, on the other side of the spectrum, we had a few units that unfortunately overlooked the dumpster area. The owner did the best to mask with fencing and so forth, but it was still not exactly up to snuff. And so we actually put a negative amenity value on that, bringing it slightly below the base floor plan rate. Okay. So that created a total stratum of price points, even within the same, whether it was a one-by-one box or a two-by-two box. Each of those had enough variables to create a real value proposition. What percent qualified for an upgrade in rent from the standard rent, would you say? In that particular case, because there wasn't a huge differentiation here, because all the units had been upgraded, say, for a handful. So based upon the kitchen and bath rental, those upgrades were about 180 to $250. And then the variables between floors and proximity, that added maybe another 100 bucks. So using three times the rent, almost everybody qualified for any of those. There were very few that couldn't qualify for a top floor K&B that did qualify for a ground floor bare bones type. Okay, got it. What's the reason why the owner would do a decrease in the rent if it overlooks the dumpster? Because it seems like they could get away with not having decreased rent on one unit. What we found is that there were two or three units that qualified for this, and the vacancy loss on those was excessive relative to the others. If you had a 600-square-foot, one-bed, one-bath, pick the floor of your choice, and one looked at the dumpster and one didn't, then the dumpster you sat each and every time. We're not talking about a lot of money. On $1,500 rent, you bring it down 50 bucks. The other benefit of that is having lost leader pricing. Mm-hmm. That is available all of a sudden from a price point perspective. You may be competing or have an advantageous position to compete with someone else. And then you do the offer choice close once they're in and showing them the upgraded pieces. And will you elaborate on what loss leader pricing is? Loss leader pricing is, is that you advertise the lowest price available unit. So if you have one unit that's 1300 another unit that's 1600 you either advertise them whether you have a website or don't have a website, whether you're using an ILS, simply posting on Craigslist or on Zillow. You post the individual units and that lost leader puts you into a different strata when people are searching with price ranges. Oftentimes on many of these places, you'll be able to put in a price range that you want to pay as a renter. So by having that loss leader pricing, you will show up in more searches if it's below a certain level. So if you have 20 people that are shopping 1300 to 1500 and then you have another 10 that are shopping 1250 to 1500 and now that lost leader is at 1250 all those other folks now find you. 
And so that's the benefit of loss leader pricing. It increases your vision, your scope, and hopefully your guest cards. Let's pretend that a best ever listener is listening to this and he or she is like, I love it. I'm going to hire Evan if he's available. I know you're the principal and chief strategist at your company, but let's just roll with this. I'm going to hire him. What is the process? Well, I'll kind of give you a leading question because I think I know the process starting out, but I'd love for you to fill in the gaps. When you get hired to do another 156 units, is the process first you review the historical vacancies for each unit and also review the competitive set to see what the appetite is to increase rent? And then you take a look at the property itself, tour it, and then you come up with the different categories for how you could increase rent for each of the different types? You pretty much hit the nail on the head, Joe. The way I like to do it is I actually prefer to go out and look at the comp set first. So I'll identify some folks online. I'll also check the neighborhood. But then I will go and actually do a ghost shop where I will create a persona of myself saying I'm looking to rent. And I will shop three or four of what I've determined are the main competitors because I want to understand what they're offering, not only from a bricks and mortar perspective, but also what they're ordering from a customer service perspective. What does the team look like? How do they engage me? What are the questions that they're asking me? And then and only then will I actually go on site uh, to my client property. Mm Because then I can go, aha, here are the advantages. Here are the disadvantages. How do we play up one? How do we minimize the other? And then work with both the nuts and bolts of going through the rent roll, but also talking to the team. An important aspect of this, because we are so reliant on the team on the ground in this industry, perhaps more so than in many others from a pricing perspective, is understanding what their mindset is and how they feel about the product. And quite frankly, how they're delivering services and how they're talking to folks. What are some questions that you would like to be asked when you're ghost shopping if it's an exceptional experience? If it's an exceptional experience, I want someone to to really get down to asking me what it is I'm looking for and really define what that means. When I tell somebody says, yeah, I'm looking for a lot of room. If they simply go to the biggest unit on the property, then they haven't really done the full discovery. Evan, when you tell me that you want space, what does that mean for you? Does that mean that you need a big kitchen because you're a cook? Does that mean you need lots of closet space because you need storage? Are you worried about your furniture? So I want them to walk me down the garden path. Mm. In an optimal situation, they're not giving me a quote for more than two units in the building. If they're giving me a quote or a price point or flyers on more than two units, then I walked away without them finding out what it is I really need. I would have shown you the biggest unit. (laughs) I'm glad I'm interviewing you because I'm improving my skill set during our conversation. Okay, it's really good stuff. After you go shop the competitors, do you have an opportunity to go shop the property that hired you? That depends upon the client, whether they feel that there's a need for that or not. Because at the end of the day, I want to do this in kind of a collegial manner where I'm working in collaboration with the client, half of them will say, absolutely, please go shop. And then we'll introduce you afterwards. And others want it to be just an organic conversation that we go on there. And I understand both sides of it. What's more effective? It's better is if I get to go shop them first. Okay. Because then they're no longer on stage. Now they are in their natural state. Mm -hmm. Got it. So look at the competitive set, you go shop, you review the historical vacancies 
And then you come up with the different categories that you can increase rent based on proximity to pool or whatever. That's correct. The first thing we have to do is determine what base floor plan rent is. And what I mean by that is what's the price for the box before it has any of the other structures? So that every single 600 square foot, one bedroom, one bath starts off at a single price point, call it a thousand bucks. Then you add on your other layers. The other layers are what is the amenity value at the property level of being close to a pool, close to parking, having a better view, et cetera. And then going in and literally walking as many units as possible, or at least within proximity, to then get sight lines so that you can then assign that amenity value to the unit that has the base floor plan rent. So you have that, those building blocks that then create a market rent for the individual unit. What's another case study? Another case study was a smaller property where the first thing that they had to address, in my estimation as I looked at it, was a lease management curve. It was a smaller building, somewhere under 50 units, I think 42 or so, and literally 50% of the units were expiring in February and March. So what that did was that put an inordinate amount of pressure on renewal and retention in those two months. So that meant they likely could not ask for a renewal increase with that much potential exposure, or at least couldn't ask for what the market would bear, let's put it that way. And then the next bit of business is if those people left at 50%, now all of a sudden you've got 10 units you have to rent in a 40-unit building. Yeah. Holy catnap, that is an awful lot of inventory. <laughs> you've just created your own supply problem. Did I hear you say holy catnap? You did hear me say holy catnap. <laughs> I will use that for the rest of my life. Okay, so what do you do? Uh, so what I was actually able to do with them was I first started working on resident retention. And what I suggested is that we begin to offer either short-term leases or very long-term leases to those people that were the furthest below market. So if the market after doing the market study was, let's call it 1500 bucks, and those people that were, say, still paying twelve and 1300 we would go to them first and offer them four, five, six-month extensions at a flat rate. Or we would offer them 16, 17-month extensions at only a 1% or 2% increase to reposition them into peak leasing season. Mm -hmm. Okay. Once we were able to solidify that, we minimized the damage. That's the first thing we had to do. Mm -hmm. Because my strategy is always you've got to talk about resident retention and renewal pricing before you talk about the sexy stuff of new lease pricing and sales, which is where people usually go first. Yeah, that's so smart. So the key there is you're repositioning their lease to end during peak leasing season, which also gets away from the masses at this property when their lease expires. That's exactly right. Peak season means a lot of different things based upon the market, the submarket, and even the unit type. A studio will have a different expiration curve than a two-bedroom will, mm. particularly if it's located nearer to a university, more in the burbs. There's lots of variables into just expiration as opposed to, okay, Memorial Day to Labor Day. There's an awful lot more to it. Anything else as it relates to either one of these two engagements that you had that we should talk about that we haven't discussed already? Well, I think the big piece of that, Joe, is that you've got to know from an investor perspective, right? Because an awful lot of your folks are investors and looking to invest or looking to invest more is doing your due diligence up front, understanding what it is you're looking at and really digging into your rent roll. It may have been, had this person realized that 50% of his leases were expiring in the winter months, that maybe there was a better price to offer by bringing that attention to the seller. Mm-hmm. 
The other bit of business, and you brought it up saying what people qualified at the various price points, before you venture into any type of capital expenditure, the first thing you should know is what percentage of your current resident base, based upon three times the rent when they moved in, would be able to afford the new target rents? Because then you know your exposure before you begin that process. Mm -hmm. If the 40 unit, let's say instead of those leases expiring in February and March, let's say peak rental season in general for this property is April, May. If all 40 leases were expiring in April and May, how would you approach that? That's actually not a good story either, because at the end of the day, you just took peak leasing season and flattened it. It's because you still have so much supply at any one given time. What I would try to do is striate it out across the 12 months and almost make it look like a pyramid so that you've got the fewest number of leases, onesies, twosies in January, February, March, and October, November, December, and then work your way up to, say, the June as being the, the highest pinnacle of that. So you would still have to reposition those because all 40 expiring at once still really puts you behind the eight ball. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Probably the best advice is really understanding what it is you're buying. And when I say that, I mean, if you're buying less than 100 units, you'd better be looking at every single lease and all of the different line items. Because you could be looking at something that is wonderfully occupied, has great rates, and then all of a sudden you dig into it and you have 25% of the folks that A, never should have qualified to be there. You may have a behavioral problem besides an economic problem. And or there's all kinds of things going on in the ledger where they're actually not paying what it looks like they're paying. So at the end of the day, you have absolutely got to know what it is you're buying. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. If you're syndicating deals, I recommend you check out the annual Raising Money Summit in Denver. The two-day event on November 17th and 18th is going to sell out, but you can get your ticket today and you'll save $100. Go to realbluespruce.com forward slash bestever. Okay, best ever book you've recently read. Best ever book I've recently read. Well, that's a tough one. Now, if I'm going to relegate it down to the best ever business book, that's simple. The Art of War by Sun Tzu. It's an ancient Chinese tablet literally on warfare, but there are so many aspects of that that you can bring into how to conduct yourself in business. It's extraordinary, actually, how one is able to look at the basic principles of that and apply it to a business method about the way the terrain, how to win victory without going to war. So as an example, if you're competing with someone down the street, maybe there's a way for both of you to win-win because you actually have, you're going after a different demographic. So before you start dropping price and cratering the marketplace, take a look at maybe even have a conversation with your competitor down the street. What's an example of a project that you initially took on and despite whatever you tried to do, it just didn't pan out? The one example in my head had to do with change management. 
And that's a big piece of the pie, that if you're going to go in and restructure this whole thing, you have got to be able to get buy-in from all the stakeholders, whether that's the partners, the owners, the operators, all the way down, quite frankly, to the frontline staff, whether it's maintenance, leasing, or the on-site manager, that if they don't believe it, as soon as you walk away, they're going to revert to type and they're not going to go by the guiding principles. So change management is a huge piece of that. So people understand the why behind the what in the change. Best ever way you like to give back? I give back to the community. I volunteer with the Denver Dumb Friends League, which is one of the largest animal rescue facilities in the United States. I donate my time. I also do fundraising stuff for them. I work with educating the youth of Cambodia, do some fundraising stuff for them. A friend of mine turned me on to that. And then I also work with Freedom Service Dogs, where they take dogs that have been rejected by everyone and actually turn them into service animals for vets. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? They can certainly go to my website, which is www.incisivesolutions.org. Or you could find me, Evan J. Hoffman, with two F's and two N's on LinkedIn. I also have a business Facebook page for Incisive Solutions and under Evan J. Hoffman. So a lot of different ways you can find me. Is that business Facebook page active with tips and stuff, or is it more of a storefront? It's more of a storefront. I do post articles and comment on them. If I see something interesting in one of the 20 or 25 different markets around the U.S. that I work in, then I will post that for the contacts and readers to see and then put a comment on it, whether I agree, disagree, or just simply put it out there as as fact-based. Great stuff. I'm so glad that you're on the show. As ever listeners, if you want to add value to your property without any money out of pocket, then look at value proposition pricing. And we talked about how to do that, the three steps for doing so. Look at the competitive set, go shop them, and know what your baseline rent is. Then two, ideally go shop the property that you're serving or at minimum have a conversation with them, walk the property, etc. And then three, review the historical financials or historical vacancies for each particular unit. There's the key there, each unit. And then you can establish some premiums and increase the value to the property without putting any money into it. And then secondly, if you're looking at a deal with leases that expire within the same month or two, that's a problem. And as Evan described to us, the reasons why and how to reposition them into the peak leasing period of time. And that's the key there. So really interesting stuff. Thank you so much for being on the show and thoroughly enjoyed it. Learned a whole lot. Hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Joe. You too. If you're syndicating deals, I recommend you check out the annual Raising Money Summit in Denver. The two-day event on November 17th and 18th is going to sell out, but you can get your ticket today and you'll save $100. Go to realbluespruce.com forward slash best ever.